0: Welcome, Pudding People, to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. We are your hosts, Ken Seymour and Richard Geiger. How are you good, sir?
1: Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Weather's kind of turning. It's nice and sunny out now, getting warm. We have fancy new people that we get to, not new people, fancy people we get to talk to that we're really excited about
0: that's not a joke uh, we've had this gentleman on the show once before in fact uh, towards the end of our second year running and he is absolutely one of my favorite people in terms of um, creators of content uh, we are going to be talking with the fantastic Dean Devlin here in just a few minutes now I know you've watched a few of his uh, a few of his uh, different works over the years i know your favorite is probably godzilla with matthew broderick that came out Uh, (laughs)
1: yes
0: (laughs) but uh, i tell you what he's had so many good things over the years whether it's talking about independence day or talking about uh stargate uh, now I'm talking about the original film with Kurt Russell and not the the television series. The television series was developed as a property on based on that film, but he wasn't directly involved with that part of it. but he's uh you know he's been an actor in a bunch of films in one of my favorite films, uh, Real Genius and we talked about that in the previous interview that uh, we had. Um, yeah he's just he's just a really nice guy and tends to create things that, have um, a sheen, uh, have uh, um, just a polish and a feel to them that always seem to make my day just a little bit brighter. Um, I don't know about you, Richard, but I think I can always use a little bit of that.
1: Yeah, he definitely has his hands in a variety of things. Now, of course, it, earlier on we might thought, uh, you know, growing up, the, the movies that kind of impressed us or where we got to know him, but he's done a lot of TV shows, uh, owns a lot of rights to TV shows, writing, producing. So he's he's got his hands in a lot of different aspects of a lot of different things, which just makes it even all the more impressive uh, the, the things that he is able to do all at the same time. You know, it, it's he keeps busy, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, no, no kidding there. Now, I figured what we would do before we got into the actual interview here, uh, for those of our listeners who may not be completely familiar with some of his work, uh, we are going to be talking about the new show he's got coming out on IMDb TV, Leverage Redemption. Now, this is a continuation of a pre-existing story that he started back in 2008 called Leverage. Um, so, while we will not be going into heavy spoilers on anything. And I definitely think if you have not seen this show already, that you should definitely go back and watch it because it is fantastic. Uh, it ran for five seasons, um, had a really excellent cast. It's one of those types of shows where, um, it rewards you for staying with it over time because there is a great deal of Uh, character development over the course of the series, and there are some overplots. But at the same time, if you miss something, it's not going to punish you because a lot of the episodes are self-contained. Well, most of them are self-contained. So much like when you watched shows back in the 80s or the 90s, and it was whether it's a sitcom or a sci-fi show or whatever, it was the creature of the week or the the problem of the week and then it seemed like everything reset back to the beginning it kind of blends that concept with having some actual changes that stick over time which
1: i always really liked and like you said there's five seasons there's about 70 some episodes so in terms of being able to consume this each season's going to be, you know, maybe like a dozen episodes long. Each episode's 40, maybe 40, like 45 minutes long. So it's not like you have to sit for hours on end to consume it. So, you know, a lot of times I say it's consumable in the sense that it's a lot easier to sit down and watch a 45-minute segment of something than it is maybe to watch an hour. It's it's, it's easier to fit in maybe when you're having some lunch or, or whatever. So it, it's... It was originally aired on TNT, right? So that was something that you had to, at the time, you had a DVR, or you had to anticipate when the show would come out and be able to watch it. You know, things are different now with streaming. But how how did you come across it, and how did you consume it? back in the day when it was
0: out well it, it for me it was one of those shows that when it came on i was ready whenever it released the next episode it was i was i was there it, i don't have a lot of appointment television they used to call it uh where you were definitely going to be there but this show was one of them and part of what drew me to it was one of the actors that was involved with it christian kane who i absolutely adored in um in angel Um uh, uh, back in the day, and he 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 kind of resonated the the way that he did his performance resonated with me. So most of the actors that were involved with Buffy and with Angel, I enjoyed their performances so much. Whatever project it is that they moved on to next, I would follow them. So to at least give it a chance, and it led to some other great uh, television shows like How I Met Your Mother. Is the you know same kind of thing. I saw oh, uh, the. There's, there's one of my favorite actresses. She's in the show. I've got to give it a chance. Um, but uh, so that's how it got me to this television show. And this cast is pretty fantastic. I mean, like I said, it's got Christian Kane in it. It's got uh, Gina Bellman, who did quite a bit of uh, television uh, over the years. And you will probably recognize her. Um, from just being in multiple episodes, if you watch television in the 1990s and the 2000s. So she had quite a few different, uh, items. She was in same thing with Beth, uh, Rias-Graph. Um, she was, she had small parts in a lot of different things. Like, uh, my name is Earl. She had, uh, a couple episodes of that, which just, uh, always makes me giggle when I see things like that. But, uh truthfully the leverage is probably their largest um most successful uh show that they've been in thus far uh christian kane like i said he was in um he was actually in the librarians in addition with uh uh done by dean devlin as well as uh Uh, Almost Paradise uh, more recently, but back, like I said, back in the day he was an angel and has been in quite a few other things, and it's hard to miss him, and he's a musician on top of it. Uh, Of course, uh, most people know Timothy Hutton. He was in it. Uh, Alice Hodge, he's the one that's really kind of, while Leverage was kind of the first big thing that I associate him with, he has been everywhere since then
1: and he's got a big thing coming up here in the near future that involves uh rocks and wings yes yes indeed i'm
0: i'm I'm super excited about that one i uh i have to say and he this is the thing about this show that really gets me each of the individuals that participate in the show the characters were so interesting and the performances were so good a lot of times when you watch a show you go okay that's the breakout person. That's the person that stole the show, and this is why I watch whatever show. Um, it's maybe not the, the best example to use, but if you say like a Big Bang Theory, a lot of people watch it because of Parsons' portrayal of Sheldon. That was the draw to the show, um, or, or certain things. Like you'll have that one person that you consider to be, oh, that's the person, that's why I watch the show. That was not the case with Leverage. They were they were all fantastic, and they had lots of great guest stars that happened over and over and over. And what I mean by that is they had guest stars regularly. They had a few that made multiple appearances too, but they would always have some really excellent little fun surprises that would show up from week to week, and it would, it, it just made me smile
1: all the time. And I feel like that to a small extent on a show that has that many seasons on it kind of validates it to an extent because those folks who have the, the potential to be doing other work to be making their money on a recurring thing somewhere else have taken the time to come to this show because either they enjoy the show or they enjoy the the other production pieces that go along with that show whether it's the writers the directors the other actors that are in it so uh, you're right. There's a lot of little snippets of people where you're like, I know that person. I know that person. I know that person. So they get a lot of good faces to kind of show up.
0: Yeah. And, and the writing is consistent. And a lot of times when you watch a show, it's like, oh, that, that season was a little weak. Uh, there is no weak season in my estimation on the original show. Um, you know, there, there are going to be episodes that I definitely like better than others. But, uh, yeah, it was pretty much good all around. And I'm hoping that Leverage Redemption will be just the same, and I I don't think I don't think I have to hope too hard on that. Just because of the people involved with the project, I I am fairly confident that this will be of excellent quality. Um, but of course, uh, we already know at least one special guest star that's going to be uh, in it. Uh, thinking back to the whole Buffy the Vampire Slayer and um Angel Universe the individual that played Spike uh is going to be in the show and he is one of my absolute uh, absolute uh, favorite people James Marsters um yeah so <laughs> that's the only one I know of for sure cuz they they've already released that but
1: well the other thing uh also is there's going to be a, a noah wiley is going to show up in the new one as well that's not a that, that's not a guest that's going to be a recurring role so a, a new fresh face um there's going to be the same kind of set in we talked about how dean devlin does a lot of things he directed a good chunk of the episodes from the first season uh first few seasons i should say um and jonathan frakes directed quite a few episodes which was so cool it's very very awesome And we're going to see some of that in the upcoming season as well with, you know, a couple different faces behind the camera lending their talents. So the way they've originally done the series has translated apparently quite well to how they're going to do the new series. Definitely.
0: But without further ado, let us go to our interview with the fantastic Dean Devlin. We are joined by Dean Devlin, producer, writer, director, creator of the most awesomest of television and film products. I really like to build things up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to thank you for coming back to the show for uh, for the second time. Uh, we love having repeat guests, especially when I have such a, a fantastic love of the work that you do.
2: Uh, always fun to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
0: So you have uh, a sequel coming out that I'm so excited to talk about. Uh, sequel uh, 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 successor, however you want to put it. Uh, the original show, Leverage, has the new uh, Leverage Redemption uh, arc coming up here in uh, just the next month. And I, I, I got to say, I'm, I'm so geeked, so pumped on this that I've been trying to tell everybody that's never seen this show in the first place. I, I always go into it, hey, it's it's basically Oceans Eleven and the A Team all rolled into one. You've got got to watch it and the new one coming out it's gonna be great. But I have to ask, what was the what was the, the, the lead up that what why are we getting the the, the redemption? It's I'm I'm so excited how did this come to pass?
2: Well, you know, I, I never gave up on trying to breathe the life back into the body. <laughs> so, so, you know, for me, it was, it was, it was, um, it was something that I've always wanted to do. It just needed to find the right way to do it, the right place to do it. Um, but it, it's an interesting thing in that this is one of these shows where more people are fans of it now than when it was originally on television. You know, people discovered it, uh, uh, whether it was in streaming or in reruns or in, uh, um, Uh, on cbs or uh, ion you know people found it in other places but the thing that always amazed me about the show was was how much it affected people because this is this is a blue sky fun action adventure show and yet people have this profound connection to it i'll just tell you one story Uh, about two years ago i was in serbia uh, uh working on a film and i'm sitting in a small restaurant um with the uh, uh, writer and the director of the show and all of a sudden this this red-headed 20-year-old girl and her mother come walking over to me all nervous and the red-headed girl says excuse me are you dean devlin and i'm thinking who in serbia knows who the hell i am and i said i said yes and now she gets all nervous and her mother gets nervous and now they start get, get, jumping them. and she says i'm sorry to disturb your, your dinner but she said, "I I I, I just had to tell you that Leverage was a really important show for my family, and we wanted to come over and tell you." And I said, "I said, I said, well, thank you. That that's so nice." I said, I, "I said, you know, I've heard the show called many things, but I've never heard anyone refer to it as important. Why was Leverage important to you?" And she looked at me like, like she was shocked that I would even ask that question. And she goes, "I guess you don't know what was going on in Serbia at that time." she said but we felt powerless as people at that time but once a week my family would come over to the house and we'd all sit around the television and for an hour we felt that maybe somebody could show up and restore our power and it got us through those very very dark times and i got to tell you that was the that story made every every difficult moment we ever had making the show worth it <laughs> so uh, I was fired up about trying to find a way to get it back. and luckily the people at IMDB TV they liked the idea and uh, and they let us run with it.
0: That's amazing. Um, th- well, and actually that kind of that kind of segues I know into something that Richard was wanting to know that uh, the nature of of transitioning between different networks.
1: yeah that that was kind of multifaceted because right now, there's a lot of things that just come out and they go straight to a streaming service, for example, where before a lot of those things were just being positioned to go on a network of some sort, have a weekly release date, that type of thing. So what what was the transition? What was the, the challenges in terms of you know we're in a pandemic, we're creating something and now we want to do it as a, a product through IMDB. How, tell me about how all that process came kind of behind the scenes, so that it was actually IMDB that this is going to be uh, premiering on.
2: Well, a lot of times when you're seeing shows uh, uh, reimagined or rebooted, uh, um, <clears throat> they're owned by the place that reboots it. Um, this was an unusual thing in that Leverage, while it was on TNT, the show was actually owned by me. So uh, uh, this was this was the rare case of having an independently made um, uh, 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 scripted television series. And at, at the time we did it, we were literally the only ones. There's, there's now a few, but um, it's always rare. So we own the rights. So after uh, TNT uh, uh, canceled the show, we had the ability to, to move the show if we could find another home. And it's always tricky to try to find another home because a lot of places feel like, well, we don't want to confuse our brand identity with their brand identity, and, and, and all of that. But I think that as the as time went on, and 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 leverage ended up playing so well on all these different platforms, whether it was a Skydance, a Sundance uh, um, subscription service, or on Ion Television, or on the CBS networks, it played so many different places that I think it became its own brand, and then that, that the worry of it ha- having brand confusion went away. So uh, as IMDb TV was starting up their, um, their free television service, it felt to me like, well, this is a perfect fit. But uh, the other point you brought up is, yes, we, we sold it just at the moment uh, uh, that COVID, <laughs> COVID struck. Um, and we had two other shows on two other continents also happening as COVID struck. So we, we ended up making 54 hours of television at a time when no one else could even make television. <laughs> So it was. It was challenging. It was crazy. We had very, very strict protocols. Uh, we were involved with five different health organizations helping us put these protocols together and running it. Uh, it made all the shows a lot more expensive, and it took a lot longer to get them done. But we're really proud that we were able to keep people employed, keep them safe, and and get to make all this television.
0: Well, and so it's been almost a decade. Since the, the original show was on. And, and the first thing that hit me after my initial uh, wave of endorphins at the prospect of having another show uh, was with that break in time, assuming that uh, there is a, a linear year to year transition from uh, where its place in the timeline is to where we are now, that's a lot of experience that these characters would have had off screen in a show where you have an hour and a lot of it is still going to be wrapped up in the initial plot of that episode. How do you approach writing it so that you can kind of fill in these gaps that have happened over such a long period of time without just being an exposition dump? Uh,
2: That is, that is the single biggest challenge. Um, The, um, the first two episodes uh, 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 John Rogers and Chris Downey who did the original show they wrote those first two episodes and the thing that John Rogers does that is incredibly brilliant and, and I've learned so much from him about this is that when I, when I would write something I, I would usually stop the movie to give you all the information and then the movie would continue again right which is what a lot of us hack writers do John Rogers never does that. John Rogers always finds a way that in the middle of an action sequence, he exposits character and backstory. He weaves it into, into the plot so you don't have to stop and wait. And uh, I think that's one of the things I'm most proud of. of, of, of as you said, we, we had eight years to exposit in, in literally the first few minutes of the first episode, and, uh, and John did a phenomenal job. Chris did a phenomenal job just weaving it in.
0: So I believe Richard had the next question for you. <laughs> yes, sorry. Um, so
1: everybody's back, right? And you you have this experience. So how how does it work to draw those existing fans in? How does it work to draw the people who are new to the show in? In terms of that writing, how does that play out in your in your mind and the writers' minds?
2: Well, you know the thing that. This may not be a satisfying answer but it's a truthful answer. The thing that I've always done in my entire career is I've never really worried about the success of something I do or the marketability of something I do. I'm such a geeky fanboy that my assumption is if I write it the way I would want to watch it as a fan, then that that enthusiasm will become infectious and other people will share it. So our thing was, we really missed these characters. We really missed making this show. So, our feeling was if we could just push our passion about getting to reunite this, that that passion will become infectious and people will enjoy it. We didn't know if it would work. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, a- Amazon decided to test the first several episodes and it worked. <laughs> so, we feel very good about that choice.
0: <laughs> was there a specific point as the the actors returned to this where you just had that moment where everything clicked together. That was just kind of, you felt like home.
2: So about a week before we started shooting, we had to do a table read uh, for IMDB. Now, normally how that happens is you've got 30 people in a room and we're all sitting around a table and we're, but we couldn't do that because of COVID. So we had a 30 person uh, zoom Conference. And we start reading the script. And within five seconds, all of those actors were the character again. I mean, completely the character again. And we were just stunned at how all, it was like no time had passed. And then the big question was all right, well, Noah Wiley's joining the show. How's he going to fit into this? And he just, again, in the same reading on Zoom, he just slid right in as though he'd always been part of the show. And it was just it was one of those things that when we were done with the table reading, we all looked at each other and went, we just were in a time machine. I mean what what just happened? So uh, uh, the first day of shooting, we were all super hyped already just from that table read.
0: well, and that that kind of leads to my to my next question. So speaking from uh, someone who is is very much a fan of the original show and was completely immersed in the plot and the character development that happened over a a series of many seasons, the characters have very strong interconnections. And when you don't have all of the characters returning, that's going to have a definite effect. So how do you approach writing the characters to honor the original source material, uh, but still Create this this new thing so that you're not feeling like I'm missing something.
2: Well, I think the key was how have they evolved, and how have they stayed stayed the same, and what things make them regress. You know, I, I, I'm sure you've had this experience yourself, whether it's you, you or or your children, where when when you return home, <laughs> somehow you revert back to who you were when you're 15. <laughs> You're getting into the same fights with your siblings that you got into, or you're arguing with your parents, or your kids are arguing with you. and It's a very odd thing that sometimes when we're around certain people who have different uh, uh, emotional connections to us, we revert to who we used to be. So the fun that we were trying to have with the show is to show both how they have changed and how they revert, and, and what happens when you put this mix back together again.
0: Well, and the way you left the end of the season, uh, and I'm, I'm going to be as vague as I can be, just in case there are some people that have not watched <laughs> the original uh, show, but the, the final item that they were able to procure in the final episode of the final season was significant. And the way that the show was left, it kind of made me wonder... How I mean that it was such a kind of a powerful thing. And again, with that time break, how do you how how do you pick up the pieces from something that major? Well, I think in a way you have to you have
2: to look at the entire first 77 episodes as a complete story. And there were some emotional arcs that were completed and and there was some professional arcs that were completed. And I think we left the series with a team that was going to go off and now begin their their journey with the item they had stolen. So to pick up now, eight years later, there needed to be a new reason to put them back together, both from from a plot point of view, but also from a character and emotional point of view. And that was really the thing that I think got IMDb excited in that this is a new series. It's not just another season of the old series. There's a whole reason for this to happen. There's a reason this team is together. And there are things they are trying to accomplish both out in the world and between each other. And that that's what kind of flames it. Nice.
1: Now, in terms of, I, I know nothing's out yet, so there's going to be specifics that you can't go over, but like, are you going to be getting more of the relationship between some of the there's like specific characters in there the hardison and Elliot uh, characters are we going to be seeing a little bit more of that this time around too
2: well i think the thing is we've always tried to balance the candy of of uh the robin hood nature of the show versus the relationships they have with each other yeah um and and i I feel very confident that we've successfully maintained that balance. So uh, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how people react, but um, yeah, the, 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 the tricky thing is we're bringing in two new characters into the mix, which always is a way to kind of rekindle both what works about this team together and also highlights what is dysfunctional about this team together. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, you know, it, it, it's a simple thing. Like For instance, if, 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 Elliot Spencer no longer got angry at things. I don't think he'd be fun to watch. Mm. So the question is what makes him angry now and how do they intentionally make him angry and how much do they enjoy seeing him pissed off?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I, I must admit I I never quite get tired of that particular aspect of the show. (laughs) And while there was a certain character that was a particularly good foil for the entire team that was in multiple episodes Played by the fantastic Mark Shepard. Is there any chance that he might be returning?
2: Mark is not in this season. Um, And mostly because Mark's character arc is intertwined with the Nate Ford character. Right. So we need to develop other, you know, as I said, the the thrust of this series is a very different thrust. If, If you think of it this way, the original leverage was fueled by a character. Who's, who had lost his child. And he was fueled with anger and the need for revenge. And so the first 77 episodes really was a crusade. It was, it was, a, it was a vengeance story. But the new series re- brings in a, a character who realizes that he's been on the wrong side of the law for a long time, that he's represented what's worst about our society and he needs to be redeemed. And that's what brings this team together. So this this arc is really more of a redemption story than it is a revenge story. And that colors the way we tell the story, colors the kind of stories we tell and and the way in which the characters behave during it. So it it it, it to me it has all the candy of the original show, but it's a brand new show.
0: Well, and it's well, I I think I've probably said this before. There's something specific about the projects that you do um, that has always resonated with me. And it, and it took me a while to figure out what that thing was. And I think, I think kind of what it is, is the, the tone of hope. There's, there's just a, a very much a, a softer, softer outlook for the future and what we're capable of doing and that really resonates, I think, with a lot of people because we don't get a lot of that in our, our current cinema and our, our current television. It's, there's a lot of negativity, and having somebody to be able to, to show you that here's an example of how things can be better uh, really really hits home.
2: Well, I think we've gone through, and, and are still in the midst of, of, of some incredibly good television. And what I think fueled it was this idea that you could tell stories that are very dark and very edgy, and you could really push the boundaries of that. And it made for some incredibly compelling television. Uh, television I enjoy watching, but not the kind of television I enjoy making. Uh, for me, I, I'm addicted to three things. And while this may sound sound uh, shallow, It's honest, and honesty, I think, is important. Number one, I find that life can be hard and difficult, so I like my art to be fun. Two, I'm addicted to the cheer moment. I'm addicted to that moment when you go, yes! But third, I like to get a little weepy in my art. (laughs) I like to get emotionally uh, connected, and that tends to temper number one and two. So if I can get all three things in something, then I get incredibly excited about making it. And that that I think you'll see is the consistency in everything I do. And that leads itself to the hope you're talking about. And for me, especially a year that collectively the entire world just went through, I think it's nice to have an hour where we can forget about it. You know, just for one hour, we can go on a, on a ride and, and just enjoy ourselves and get tickled in a way that other things don't tickle you and uh, uh and then you can you know you can watch hbo for the dark and gritty show <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah I, I think i'm gonna let the dark and gritty go for a little while i think I ha- i've had enough of that for
2: just just a, just a little bit we need a refresher you know every menu has to have has, has to have some variety <laughs> so
1: do you have any so you've been busy you've been doing all these shows is there more things on the horizon for you that are going to keep you equally as busy as what you've kind of just went through? Uh,
2: you know, uh, I hope so. <laughs> uh, you know, we're, we're, we're waiting right now to find out if we get to do a second season of almost paradise, mm-hmm. which, uh, nothing would make me happier. I, I get enormous joy out of making that show. Uh, we, we, we've, we've got several other pilots that we're going out with. Um, We'll see if anyone wants to make them. But, you know, uh, the beautiful thing about my job is, is, you know, we get to tell bedtime stories and uh, as long as we keep finding good ones to tell, we're happy, you know, and whether that's a, a documentary or a TV series or a web show or a movie, it doesn't really matter. It just uh, uh, we find stuff that we fall in love with and then we find ways to make it. And, and you know, Knockwood. wood. uh, uh the business has been very kind to us lately, and they've been letting us tell stories, and, and we hope we get to tell a lot more.
0: When you're, telling, when you're telling the stories that you're telling, how this is something that I've, I've always, uh, always kind of wondered. How can you, as a creator, invest, because we all invest bits of ourselves into what we create, but how do you invest those things that are a reflection of yourself in in such a way that um, people will really be able to connect with it, because we're all in our own little worlds sometimes. So being able to reflect it through the prism of a shared humanity seems like a massive challenge. What do you think? What do you think sparks you to be able to, um, with the, the help of some of these fantastic writers, be able to create that thing that people connect to?
2: Well, look, I think that the, the first thing that's important is to to surround yourself with people who are smarter than you and more talented and i've always done that and it it always makes me look great (laughs) so that that's the first step that that helps when when you're surrounded by by really really smart and talented people but again kind of going back to what we were talking about a little earlier i just i just find that for myself it's always it's always troublesome if I concern myself with how it's going to be perceived or if people are going to get it or are they going to understand it or will they get my point that I'm trying to make? Because then I'm immediately taken out of it and I'm, I'm looking at it analytically. And, and I find that the type of work I do works best. And, I, and I've had my biggest successes when there's stuff that, that I'm doing that just makes me crazy. You know, that when I sit in the dailies, I'm giggling or when I'm watching on set and I forget to say cut because I'm so overwhelmed by what's going on in front of me. I find that if I can just entertain myself to the point that I I feel giddy that that tends to be um, specific to a certain type of audience, not all audiences, not everybody, but the people who like the stuff that I make, I think they just share that joy. You know, Um, when we did Independence Day many, many years ago, it wasn't because we were trying to figure out what would be a big giant hit movie. It literally was because it had been so long since Star Wars had come out and we had just done Stargate and we wanted to see a movie kind of like that. So we came up with an idea that would give us the things that we thought were fun about those movies and then we enjoyed it in the way we would have enjoyed something. So we we made it because we wanted to see it, not because we thought anyone else wanted to see it.
0: That makes sense. I I should have thought of that originally. <laughs> 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 well, oh, uh, before I forget, there um I uh, didn't uh, weren't there some new kind of directorial debuts that occurred with this as
2: well? Um, well, not debuts, but uh, uh, I mean, one debut is is the the actress uh, Beth Reschkeff who plays Parker. She directed for us, right. and that was her directorial debut. But uh, she was so good, we actually gave her a second episode. So she she did two episodes this season. Now Noah Wiley also directed three episodes for us this year, but he's, he's directed for me before on The Librarians and I, I I knew what a wonderful director he is.
0: How do you help that transition from position as an actor into a director to be able to, to give these people uh, a chance to kind of show what they're capable of and help, uh, you know, anytime I try something new, I manage to at least fall on my face five, six, seven times. Uh, how do you help to make sure that that is kind of minimized going to something? Was it just like a natural progression? Is this something since they've been around it so much that they just know it already or?
2: Well, I think there's a couple things, but the first thing that that has to be said is that in neither case were these gifts to the actor. None of these were like, Oh, we're going to reward you by letting you direct in both cases. They earned it. You know, um, when I was making the series, uh, the librarians, Beth Reescraft flew herself up to um, to Portland to follow me as I was directing. She wanted to watch every single step from pre-production to post-editing, casting, and she she did the entire journey. So she was she was working at it. What a lot of people don't know is that before she was an actress and before she was a model, she was actually a photographer. So she has a a, a real history with with photography, with cinematography, um, and a real passion and love for it um but yes if you have an actor directing a show that they've been on they're way ahead of the game because they understand the relationships they understand the tone the biggest issue for directors directing my work is whether they can hit the tone because i've had directors who are wonderful directors emmy award-winning directors who couldn't do the show because the tone wasn't where they lived you know some directors are incredibly grounded and it needs to be grounded and at the minute it's one inch above the ground it might as well be 500 feet off the ground because for them, well, it's all just crazy now because it's not grounded. And other people, you know, they, they're used to stuff that's way too whimsical and way too fanciful. You know, I, I, I like to say my stuff tends to be about six inches off the ground. You know, it's just off the ground enough that we can really enjoy ourselves and have some fun and not get bogged down by by too much uh, uh, logic and reality. But it's not so silly that we're no longer involved emotionally or, or lose uh, um, lose our worry for uh,
1: what's going to happen to our characters. Right. Very, I guess, specific. So going back to Noah Wiley being able to direct a few of these episodes and having worked with him in the past, did you know when you brought him on to this project that he was going to be like, did you have that discussion about him directing episodes before he even joined? Or was that something that maybe happened a little bit after?
2: No, I, I actually went to Noah first to be a director on it before I, I ever asked him to be an actor on it because I so love working with him as a director. He's such a marvelous director. I'll tell you a story. Uh, we were doing the second librarian move. This is many, many years ago, and we were in Africa. And my camera operator was feeling very sick, and the sun was going down, and we were running out of time. And we did this shot, and as we were starting to leave the location, Noah Wiley walked over to me and said, Look me in the eye and tell me honestly, did we get that shot or did we not get the shot? And I looked at him and I knew he knew that we didn't get it. So I had to be honest. And I told him, he goes, can we try one more time? I said, yes, let's go do it. And then we got it. But the fact that his brain knew that knew what the shot needed to do, knew, knew how the shot needed to be shot, and he wasn't even looking at a monitor through it. He could just sense what the camera was doing. And he knew that we didn't do it. That's the first time I really got the inkling that he doesn't just think as an actor in his part and and his performance and his character. He really was thinking holistically on the entire show. And that began uh, a many year relationship, talking about filmmaking, talking about storytelling. And so when he finally did direct for me on The Librarians uh, and he knocked it out of the park, um, that's when I knew, oh, well, whether he acts for me or directs for me, I don't care as long as I get to keep making stuff with Noah, I'm happy. That's awesome.
0: Well, I, I got to say, I'm, I'm terribly excited. That was obvious when we started this, clearly. But I'm, I'm so happy to be able to, to see a, a new iteration uh, of this fantastic story with these characters that I have come to love and appreciate. And, and I cannot, uh, cannot thank you enough for not only helping to bring it back to television, but also coming onto our show to talk about it some more. And uh, you, of course, uh, can come back anytime, even if it's just to talk about pizza. Because we do talk about pizza. Maybe not today, but it, we can get back <laughs> to it eventually. Uh, but uh, just thank you so much for coming on today.
2: Well, thank you for having me. I always enjoy being here.
0: Hey there, Pudding People. Don't forget to check us out on social media. We are very easily recognizable on Twitter as at Real Pudding Guys. We're also on Instagram and Facebook as what, Richard? pudding guys (laughs) easy to find easy to enjoy we are right there to share our tidbits of wisdom of comic book movies and comics and pop culture in general we love to hear your interactions definitely come back and see us but also don't forget the most important of our social media presence we are on patreon where we are at real pudding guys as well and for just one dollar per month You can help support us as we create new content, as we improve our product all around and share with you the wonders that is pop culture. Exciting, right?
1: Pudding guys.
0: (laughs) Definitely come visit. All right, pudding people. That was so much fun. And we are going to continue the fun next week. We're going to get back to our history of comic book movies with 2015. I know it has a couple of your favorite films in it, right, Richard?
1: It has so many movies in it. It's <laughs> going to take us a really long time. And we can actually say that we've watched all of them, question mark? Probably. we to find out. Yes,
0: tune in and check it out.